But speaking of Franco, he actually has a, a random cameo in Alien Covenant. So he's Daniel's husband who burns alive of the opening of Alien Covenant. Now, this isn't just a random cameo. He actually had three deleted scenes in this film. So he actually had a more significant role. It's more than just like that iPhone Go GoPro footage of him. It's brutal when he burns alive, man. Prometheus and Alien Covenant serve as prequels to Ridley Scott's Alien and James Cameron's Aliens, 2012 and then 2017 releases respectively. Now these movies are actually pretty good. I hadn't seen them both in a while. I've only seen Alien Covenant once. Only once? Sorry. I remember I saw it in theaters. I didn't love it. And then I watched it again yesterday and I was like, whoa, this movie's actually good. And it's better it's than actually good. It's better than Prometheus. <laughs> I think so too. And Prometheus is solid. I like how Ridley Scott and his team wanted to do something different. I know how they were like, you know, the Xenomorph's been done so many times before. Let's try something new. Damon Lindelof had some really cool ideas, and I like the idea of exploring the creation myths and the creation of human beings from uh, aliens from a distant, distant planet, the engineers crafting human beings. You know, that's that's a fun little scientific theory that, you know, maybe human beings were never... They were, D Darwinism isn't a thing, and they weren't evolved into human beings, but human beings were maybe created. But who created the creators? Exactly. That's really the big question. So I like how they explore these new things, and I like the scope of Prometheus. It's really fun. It has to, it does have some good gore, some good scares, the things you want in an alien movie. Do, but I do think that it was a mistake to not get the xenomorph in there. I know that really Scott he said that he's like I don't want xenomorph in this. Let's just do something different. And then he put it in Alien Covenant. Yeah, then they put it in Alien Covenant and it works. I think when you have an alien movie, you gotta have the xenomorph in there. And Alien Covenant improves upon Prometheus in every way. And I think it actually is a much stronger story. It has a lot more scares. It's more of a monster movie, which is what you come to expect. And it really hits the horror genre really well, whereas Prometheus isn't much of a horror movie. And it's ironic because I really enjoy the first half of Prometheus, but I mm -hmm. think it kind of falls sh short for me by the third act. And then Alien Covenant, I think, has sort of a weak opening. Not weak, it's just too similar to Prometheus, but has an exceptional second half and third act. And I think it's a, got a great ending. Let me set up the film. So Prometheus 2012. Yeah, what are they about, man? In the year 2089, the discovery of a clue to mankind's origins on Earth leads a team of explorers to the darkest paths in parts of the universe. Two brilliant young scientists lead the expedition. Elizabeth Shaw hopes that they will meet a race of benevolent, godlike beings who will in some way verify her religious beliefs, while Charlie Holloway, her husband, is out to debunk any spiritual notions. However, neither the scientists nor the shipmates are prepared for the unimaginable terrors that await them when they arrive on what they believe is the home planets of the creators of humanity in 2093, after their four-year journey. Mm -hmm. IMDb Prometheus is a 7.0, Rotten Tomatoes, 73% critic score, 68% audience score, written by John Spates and Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof, obviously known from Lost as well as J.J. Abrams projects. John Spates is, uh, he adapted Dune and did other films like The Mummy, so he's got a hit or miss track record when it comes to scripts. They're both J.J. guys. Anthony's both smiling them. at the Dune reference, directed by Ridley Scott. <laughs> Budget of $130 million. Box office was a hit, $400 million globally. Now, Alien Covenant came out in 2017, five years later, and Rid Ridley wanted to make a trilogy. He ended up not because of the kind of box office failure of Alien Covenant. It didn't make a ton of money. So, Alien Covenant, in 2104 AD, 11 years after the Prometheus expedition, bound for a remote, remote planet on the far side of the galaxy, members of the colony ship Covenant discover 
what they think to be an uncharted paradise while there they meet David, the synthetic survivor of the doomed Prometheus expedition. The mysterious world soon turns dark and dangerous when a hostile alien life form forces the crew into a deadly fight for survival. So just a little more context, Alien Covenant begins on in December 2104 and ends in 2105, 17 years prior to Alien, the film from 1979, which takes place in 2122. IMDb Alien Covenant is a 6.4, pretty low rating. Ron Tomatoes, 65% critic score. Audience score is rotten at 55%. Written by Ronald Shushet and Jack Paglin. Obviously directed by Ridley. A budget of $100 million. It grossed $240 million globally. Jonathan Logan, the writer of Blade Runner 2049 and Logan also was a co-writer on that screenplay. And so I actually think Covenant is a much stronger movie because... The, the one of the main issues with Prometheus is it's too big uh, for an alien movie. I think they, they they went too big with the brush strokes and too big with the ideas of where, of, of or the origins of humanity. Yeah, basically. where it, it kind of didn't feel right for the alien franchise. Whereas the alien movies really work as self-contained things. First one and second one are incredible. However, I do think Alien Covenant is the third best alien movie, and so their their mission with making Prometheus was let's explain the ship. And then let's explain the engineer with the chest burst to open. Let's explain those two things. And you can go in a def- bunch of different out- routes. And then Damon Lindelof decided to explore the creation myths of humanity. I thought it was interesting. However, I think it could have worked better with a bit of a smaller scope. If it just being, I mean, maybe not too large of it as, as it was. Whereas with Alien Covenant, I think they saw the error in their ways. And they're like... Let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to what works for this franchise. We have ship, crew, distress signal, aliens, monsters. Like that's really the, the the bare bones of what you need in an alien movie. That's why the first and second ones work so well. It's the same thing. It's a crew. There's a distress signal. Let's investigate. Those are kind of like the archetypes of this kind of movie in the franchise that really lend itself to the elements because it's gonna it has to be a monster movie and you have to have people being hunted by the monsters trying to hunt the monsters themselves and so for the alien franchise i think prometheus went too large and didn't really fully deliver with its third act i agree and what i like about these movies a lot when you watch them back to back is how they're answering questions not just of the chest burst they're the face hugger and the xenomorph the origins of the xenomorph Mm -hmm. but also the origins of LV-426, which is the colony in the first film that gets the distress signal sent to the Nostromo that they pick up on and starts the whole origin of the story. So basically, it's sort of it's sort of like Star Wars in a way. Yeah, it's, yeah this is the <laughs> prequel trilogy. Yeah, exactly. But I think they did a pretty solid job because Aliens is one of my all-time favorite movies, and Aliens is excellent. And at first, when these movies were coming out, I wasn't excited about it. I'm like, we don't need origins to Alien mm-hmm. or Aliens. Same, same. But I, I've actually grown to enjoy them, and I've grown to enjoy Alien Covenant a lot. I think I've seen it three times now, but this third viewing, the third, the second act blew me away. Because yeah. I, I honestly don't love the first half of, of Alien Covenant. Like I said, it's too much like Prometheus in terms of when they get there, someone they get off the ship, someone gets sick, going back to the ship, mm-hmm. deaths occur. It's really kind of beat for beat in a lot of ways, despite the reason why they're going there in Prometheus. These scientists, they're on Earth, and they discover the symbols from ancient cultures that all match up. They think this is a map being sent to their from their creators to humanity to come find us. They think it's an invitation to meet your maker, basically. And then they go and find that, sol- that system, 
distant galaxy, that's that planetary system, and they enter that system. That's where they find the planet, obviously. And then we have Alien Covenant, where it's a colony mission. They have they're just looking for a new home, basically. They're heading to Orgai Six. Orgai the Six, they found. Yeah. exactly, which they eventually head back on on course to. Yes. However, they they're getting a signal from this other planet that seems to be the most perfect planet of all time. It's just too good to be true, and obviously it is too good to be true. We're going to start spoiling these movies because oh, yeah. David's chilling there waiting, trying to get a signal sent to somebody to come to the planet to basically mm-hmm. fulfill his master plan, which we'll get into in a little bit. And then once Doom occurs and everything happens, <laughs> which we'll talk about in Alien Covenant, that colony is heading back to Oragai 6, which becomes LV-426, the colony in Alien. So I think they do a solid job of setting up the origins of Alien and how the colony was overrun and infected and the distress signal from Alien got sent out to yes. the Nostromo, as well as answering the creation of the Xenomorph and the Facehuggers. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this is the, the poor box office and audience reaction to Alien Covenant is really just kind of like one of the more one of the bigger disappointments of blockbuster cinema lately because I after watching Alien Covenant again I really want to see the third one now and they're not going to make it anymore they basically put it on standstill uh, Alien Romulus is coming out by Fede Alvarez we don't even know if it will tie into this at it's all it's completely unconnected okay. from every alien movie and then Noah Noah Hawley's TV show is going to be completely its own thing set on earth so Predating the Nostromo. Yes. So, unfortunately, we're not going to see the rest of the story because even though Prometheus ended on shaky footing, they got back on track with Alien Covenant, and I was really looking forward to the colony on Oregon 6 and David as this villain because the the twist of David taking over in place of Walter at the end in the third act of Alien Covenant was a really fantastic twist, and he ended up becoming a really fantastic, malevolent villain who you kind of really... Are pulling for in a lot of ways, and you understand where he's coming from. But he's he, my, David is one of the more fascinating AI characters in cinema history, I think. And Alien Covenant really compounded on that. Uh, he was already very interesting and just such a great character in Prometheus. But then um, what they did in the second film really improved upon it, even even more so. And he became a really excellent villain. And ultimately, I think Michael Fassbender is a lot of ways the glue of this franchise of the of the prequels really working he is phenomenal he is incredible as a performer and his characterization of david is just really fascinating to behold especially in the first one with this obsession with peter o'toole's character in lawrence of arabia and then in the second film where he's become um, very much uh, a strong-willed rebellious ai who believes that he can be his own a god in a new world and create life and so I really like the transition and the character arc of David, and ultimately, it's really Fassbender's performances in both films that hold the movies together. And then playing Walter, the other synthetic in Alien Covenant. Now, David, he he easily is maybe the most fascinating artificial intelligence synthetic character, android of the 21st century, hands down. And 
what's so interesting about David compared to Walter, so Walter's obviously the synthetic on the Covenant mission, the Colony mission. He's in the opening of that versus David's intro on Prometheus, which is really excellent. His yeah. fascination, like you said, with Lawrence of Arabia, Peter O'Toole. But you obviously, it's sort of like Blade Runner 2049 where we're opening and our main character is revealed to be a replicant right away. Our opening main character in Prometheus is revealed to be a synthetic right away. Yeah. And I really like that, just not hiding that card from the audience for the entire film like they do in Alien because it's already been done. You can't really hide it. They do the same thing in Aliens as well. It's not a fun twist. When, exactly. Well, we knew he's uh he knew we knew he was a robot right in, away. In aliens. In, but yeah. I think Fastbender with the physical performance, not only just amazing dialogue as well, but the physical performance of like when he's walking into the basketball court just in Prometheus, he's got this crazy robotic stance and everything. Yeah. So he's really terrific. But he the, also in his performance he doesn't breathe. Yeah. So he never in Michael Fassbender in his scenes, he never exhales or inhales. He put a lot of work into controlling his body and his lungs and his chest so that you couldn't see him breathing while he's performing in the scenes. And, and David is just such a great character because he is really the catalyst for everything. He is the key. He is the cause and effect of the xenomorph, the perfect organism being born because creationism is obviously talked about in Prometheus with the creators, the engineers, but then furthermore in the first act, especially of Alien Covenant, when we have Wayland, a younger version of Wayland, still probably in his 50s or 60s, he has created David, and I love the opening scene with him and it's David. Great. It's really terrific, and they're sort of challenging each other, but I think really what David represents is the next evolution of humanity, clearly, and he looks down upon humans, and you can see that in that first scene with Wayland where he looks down upon Wayland to an extent, even though he's hiding it, and the main difference between Walter, who's uh, more advanced version of that synthetic but just has the the emotionality the creativity has been taken away from it and he's less human more machine that's the main difference between him and david because david is too idiosyncratic and he thinks too much for himself which is that conversation they have in alien covenant which is great and the irony is they created an, a synthetic that's as human as possible with david and what does david do he becomes the worst parts of humanity causing horrible things to happen, devastating death, destroying entire peoples and an entire planet and civilization, and then sort of just taking the worst parts of humanity and running with it because they created him too human, you could say, and he just ma creates this master plan where he sees himself as the next evolution of humanity. He's better than humans. Yeah, and you can actually see the difference between Walter and David really well with the dialogue they have in their second scene together where Walter indicates that he got the author of the poem incorrect, which shows that because David thinks for himself and his mind is evolving, he is no longer an infallible machine like Walter is. And he actually misquotes it because Walter asks him who wrote the poem Ozymandias, which David quotes earlier in the film. And David says Byron. Uh, and Walter corrects him by saying it was actually written by Percy by Shelley. So David was incorrect about the author of the poem. And this actually ties to who wrote the novel Frankenstein. And that's also used Mary as, Shelley. Yeah, and that's used... The, was Isn't the, the transcript of Frankenstein as the key in Prometheus for a computer? I believe so, yes. And so they're basically alluding to the fact that David is a Frankenstein monster where he's become uh, a monster who becomes... Uh, he already was very intelligent, but he does learn and grow just like Frankenstein's monster and then he grows to hate his creator Wayland and he hates he hates Wayland by the end of the end of the first film we learn I mean the, by the second half of the of Alien Covenant we learn that he detests his creator and so because he was growing and evolving in his own mind he was no longer you know a perfect machine that didn't get anything wrong right 
wrong. And so now that showed his fallibility in that he is actually more that is that ties to him being more human than any other android that's ever been created. I think he processes that belief immediately in Alien Covenant because Alien Covenant you could look at that as his his turning on day. It's like his his birth in a way. And Wayland reveals himself to be his father and there's they're in this really grand white walled white lit white floored white ceiling room with an oasis behind them of nature mm-hmm. but then they have some of the greatest pieces of art and basically that scene opens with Waylon asking him David to identify the objects he identifies he plays uh, a, a composition on the piano and then David Waylon tells David that I'm your creator I'm your father basically and he says that together we will find my creators because David asks him about if, if you created me who created you and he's like, we're going to answer that question together, my son. Hopefully we will. And David, you can tell, already looks down on Waylon because he says to Waylon, so I, you created me and I'm looking at my creator and I'm, I'm with my creator right now. However, you don't know who your creator is. So basically, David might see himself as because I'm with my creator, I'm a higher life form or a higher being than you who will never possibly mate, meet your creator. Michael Fassbender in that scene, he does an incredible job of, he shows a hint of resentment yeah. towards Waylon. There is a hint of uh, resentment and kind of disgust towards Waylon that he just subtly shows with his face and with his eyes and with his delayed reactions. And then Waylon, because he built David to serve, you can tell David doesn't want to serve, but he must serve right now. And Waylon, I think he, I think Waylon's beginning to understand that he might be trying to take over power in the conversation and so what does Waylon do he says bring me the tea David and he asks he has to ask David a couple of times to bring him the tea until David finally gives gives in and then goes and serves him tea as the servant he was built to do but you know that he doesn't want to be serving this tea to Waylon already he's just born he's already questioning why am I why do I have a master and why am I obeying this man and he te- and he says to Waylon you're a human you will die Yet I will live forever. That's why he thinks he's superior. Exactly. Yes. And he's with his creator, meaning I'm better than my creator. Yeah. You're going to die. That means I'm better than you. And also we see that in Alien Covenant where he's trying to explain to Walter his motivations. And he said they're a dying race. That's why they're, they're grasping, a col- for resurrection. grasping for resurrection. That's why they're sending out these colonization missions and grasping at straws of these random planets because... They don't deserve to be alive anymore. It's time for the next phase of evolution to take its course. And David is beginning to see himself as a god, as a creator. He's obsessed with creation, and he's finally made his perfect creation. And so I think he looks to himself as, I will be the god of this new species, of this new perfect race. And also you can look at the creators seeing humanity as unworthy to live more, and that could be a reason for why they're trying to destroy humanity after they created because... Prometheus obviously opens up with these creators, these engineers. They're on Earth. One of them sacrifices themselves, drinks that fluid, which kills him and disintegrates him, basically, mm-hmm. into the water, creating life, basically, on planet Earth. And then thousands and hundreds of the thousands. The human DNA. Yeah, basically yeah. The, the DNA of what humanity becomes from that. And then it grows into the people we are. And then by the end of the film... When we finally get to meet the creators, there's one alive still in his hyperbolic time chamber. (laughs) Dragon Ball Z reference. (laughs) 
And, He's trading. <laughs> you know, Waylon is wants to meet the creator and asks for life. Waylon doesn't want to die. He secretly made this journey with the Prometheus ship with this spacecraft everyone thinks he's dead mm -hmm. but he's made this journey to meet the creators to meet the engineers to try and live longer to cure his death to become one of them because Wayland sees himself as a god because he's created life he's created david so he sees himself as a god as well and thinks he deserves life and immortality or or to be saved from death from the creators and you could argue that's the reason why the engineers are basically planning to destroy earth because they no longer see humanity as deserving of life and being worthy enough to accept life because yeah. they've turned on their creators in terms of wanting to be the creators themselves. And they lo no longer appreciate what's been given. And also, the in terms of these creators, they s clearly have the cycle of sacrifice to create. And humanity won't sacrifice to create anymore. That's a great point. Now, there's, there's an issue. There's two issues I have with Prometheus regarding that that entire sequence. So, first of all, Guy Pierce is wonderful in Alien Covenant in that opening scene. And he's him and Michael Fassbender are really dynamic together and his characterization of Wayland is phenomenal. It's one of my favorite scenes of the whole uh two movies is that opening. However, I think it is uh they should have just cast an old actor for Wayland in the in, in Prometheus. Prometheus because they did do uh like a, a little short film and some promotional material with Guy Pierce. He did like uh, like a TED Talk esque kind of sequence. Yeah, and his his age in real yeah. life, right? Yeah, it was just normal guy Pierce age and at the time. And I understand what they were doing, but it is distracting. the The age to makeup looks good, but it's like they should have just gotten an old actor because you know it's a guy in makeup. So it's that kind of takes you out of the Wayland scenes a little bit. And then on top of that, obviously the Prometheus, the pilot is about to fly to Earth to destroy Earth. That was their that was his plan before things went wrong. I just didn't like how right when he was woken up, like all his friends are dead and there's like the the humans are on my ship, but he's like still like, I'm going to go fly to Earth immediately rather than like try to figure out what the hell happened. So that's one, that's the problem with the third act of Prometheus that, where I was like, I don't understand why the engineer immediately went right to his mission to, to go destroy Earth immediately without really like understanding like why, what is going on with my ship? Like no one's alive anymore. I think it's because humanity's there. Maybe that's the reason why he's like, I have to continue this mission that I was about to be on. Because basically, Prometheus, they discover the ship there, yeah. right? So the Prometheus mission, they, they land on that planet, and they find basically what they think is the temple of a civilization or, or a home of a civilization. But unbeknownst to them, it's actually more similar to what Yannick, Idris Elba's characters, calls as a military ins installation. Yeah. Basically, this is where they keep weapons of insane mass destruction of planetary destruction and they obviously thought it was going to be their home but it's not so maybe because when he is woken up from his slumber the creator and woken up by them and also the dialogue that david and wayland are speaking to him so mm -hmm. obviously we can assume that david isn't completely translating what's the engineer creator saying to them. He seems to recognize a little bit, but definitely not the completely. I think he can speak fluently with uh -huh. him. I, I believe that he completely understands the engineer and creator, and so does and, and vice versa. I think the engineer and creator understands him because the creator clearly, the engineer clearly understands David. Yeah. Even the look on his face is like, oh my God, he's speaking my language. Mm -hmm. 
And But I think that because David, from the beginning, has always had ulterior motives to the goals of Wayland in terms of preserving his life and saving himself and curing death for himself and becoming a god, basically, from the beginning, as we see in Alien Covenant in that opening scene, he's always had other motives, and he's gotten there. And that's why he's also, in addition to finding this engineer alive to bring Wayland to him, he also is in, he's studying... What he's discovering, the biology of this planet, the biology of this virus that, remember, he puts the the drop of water from the weapon inside Holloway's champagne, which Big gets things him have small beginnings. Exactly. So he's doing his own research. He's doing his own sort of cunning plans. He's, he's, he's learning himself. He's teaching himself basically how to create his curiosity is his own path. He has two goals in, the, in these films, obviously, to help Wayland to keep him going, to get him to the engineer. But also, David's got his own motivations, which we find out what they are in Alien Covenant of creating his own life and eventually creating the perfect organism with the facehugger to Xenomorph. And that starts all the way back on Prometheus's mission when they land on that planet. And that's why he takes he takes his own samples from from the planet, from that yeah. underground bunker, basically, the weapons bunker. He, he takes his own jar and starts to investigate it and study it on the ship so So here's the thing with david so what i read is the original screenplay of prometheus he was more of a villainous character and ridley scott felt it didn't work so he i think that in prometheus he's very servant subservient to waylon and he's carrying out waylon's wishes of trying to discover the secrets of longevity and life uh, unbeknownst to the scientists who are there, who they think for just their mission at first. So I think that David is serving Wayland in the first film, but then they're like, you know what? It works better originally if he was more of a villain. So they turned him into like the original villain character that they had, a, that screenwriter had originally written for Prometheus. And it works better in Alien Covenant where he is an, a sub, uh, more of a nefarious, malevolent being because he, I think in Prometheus, it seems to me he's completely... Uh, uh, oh, he's completely service, like obedient, obedient to, to Waylon yeah. and does what is doing whatever Waylon wants. Like that's his goal and his mission. But I don't think it quite worked, and they changed it back to the original notion of what if he was more of like a Hal. Well, what I was go- getting to originally was that by the end of what I was going to say was <laughs> when I eventually got there, <laughs> twelve hours later, was that the translation? I think I I feel like he's holding back on the translation sure. to Waylon. He's not telling him everything, mm-hmm. and because. The, the creator does a bit of talking to the engineer does a bit of quite a bit of talking to David and I believe that David's only translating specific things to Wayland okay that's interesting that's an interesting take but I just think that they didn't show anything nefarious at all about David in the first in Prometheus oh absolutely they did he fucking poisoned Charlie well, I mean, Charlie I mean Hunter, against Wayland I mean against Wayland Against Wayland, that's what I mean the yeah. misinterpretation or the yeah. the minimal interpretation led to obviously David getting decapitated, but also <laughs> Wayland getting killed. So I think that holding back on the translation, but he, I think he probably clearly did tell the creator and engineer that we are from, we are the, the people that you created basically from sure. a distant planet. We're here to ask why you've created us, but then Wayland turns into, I want long health. I want to be saved basically from yeah. death. And Wayland's basically, he thinks he's one of them. He deserves to be one of these engineers. Great point. But then also remember the hostility that Wayland and his security show Elizabeth Shaw in this moment when they, they hurt Elizabeth Shaw 
causes hostility among the among the engineer, and then the engineer shows hostility to them. That's a great point. It's not until uh, one of the soldiers hits her in the chest where the engineer starts becoming violent. Exactly. That's a, that's an excellent point. And the thing with Elizabeth Shaw, I think, is a great lead for Prometheus. Originally, Charlize Theron was actually cast as Shaw. Couldn't do it for scheduling conflicts, and then dropped out. And then they went to Numi Rapace, who was just coming off Dragon Tattoo. And she is so good at acting. Because <laughs> she's Swedish, but she does a really good English accent in this movie. Like, I, she's really adept with accents. Like, I'm, like very few actors are. Where it's Because it's rare for someone whose second language is English to be able to do a, either a great American accent that's spot on or a great English accent that's spot on. But Numi Rapace is able to do it. And she does a couple of American accents in other movies she's been in. And her American accent sounds really great. So for an international actor, she's one of the rare few that can actually pull off different accents. And I don't English. think she spoke English until after she made the Dragon Tattoo trilogy. I believe she learned English after the fact. I believe that's right. And then, because those movies, the the last of the trilogy, that, those all came out in 2007, right? 2008? They all came out in the same year. Yeah, yeah I think like it was around there. Yeah, we were like in, at the end of high school, I think. I didn't even know they existed. And then we read those books, obviously, I think in our early 20s, and they were awesome and I, I, we love the girl yeah. dragon tattoo trilogy then there were i mean i think one of the reasons why i didn't love alien covenant at first the first time i saw it was because she's not in it and i really loved new she's a little bit in there she's a <laughs> tiny bit all right she's, she's photos of her there's a then, photo of her and her it. dead corpse that's been opened up <laughs> you're like she has a great performance in it <laughs> i think that's i think that initially rubbed me off the wrong way because they did also film other just like with Prometheus, they filmed a little short. Really, Scott likes to do this with his movies. Sometimes he did it with, uh, they did it with Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where his son actually directed a little short film with Wallace, Neander Wallace, and Dave Bautista's characters. They have like a little twelve minute short film that's like a precursor epilogue to uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So he likes to do that with these when he has a budget and they have the sets already. Like they just like he likes to do these little shorts. And so the the, the Waylon TED Talk. And then with Alien Covenant, they did a, basically an epilogue of the ship, and like her and her and David on the ship for like five minutes or so. Uh, but it wasn't in the film, obviously. I think that for me, when I first, so this is the ship after they take off at yes, the end of Prometheus exactly. and are heading to the she's other like planet. repairing him. I've seen it online. I think that when I saw Alien Covenant in theaters, her not being in the film at all, I was like, I was probably. Because I really like Numira Pace, and she was at like a, a peak in her career at that point. And I was like, why is she? Like, this is bullshit. She's not even in it at all. And so I think that rubbed me the wrong way when I first saw Alien Covenant. But now, in retrospect, it does work. Uh, it does. I mean, it still could have. they still could have used her in it. I think she could have been great in it. They could have figured something out. But they went the way they went. And that's just, it already happens just the way it is. But I think that they did do some interesting things with the story. And with David particularly, that ended up working really well because he's got like this obsession with creation. He's studying. He's he studied her body in biology, and he's become like very prolific in terms of. If you see his little apartment, it's like a museum of of taxidermy and stuff. <laughs> and so it, of alien creatures. On second watches, it works. It really does work. But I do think I didn't like the film because she wasn't in it at all. I think one of the great strengths to Prometheus versus Alien Covenant, though, lies in the casting as well. I think the characters and cast, the ensemble cast, in Prometheus is a lot better than Alien Covenant's. 
so I think that's th- a great point. They're I think, forgettable. In I think the, sur- the supporting cast. So we have Charlie Holloway, uh, played by Logan Marshall Green, discount Tom Hardy. He's really great <laughs> in this role. <laughs> and then we have Idris Elba as Yannick, is awesome. Guy Pierce obviously is in this, but then we have Sean Harris as Feifeld, great. who obviously you all know as so- as Solomon Solomon Lane, Lang, Solomon Lang in the Mission Lane. Impossible franchise. I almost said Solomon Kane. I know you did that. <laughs> I always do that. Were you thinking of Raising Cane's? <laughs> Benedict Wong. We have Kate Dickey's, Emin Elliott's, Charlie's Theron. So the cast is stacked, and I think they all do a great job with memorable characters. And the characters. engineer from the uh, outside planet of Earth. <laughs> yes, played by Ian White. Great job at that. <laughs> and then, it's a real engineer. And then John Lebar is the, uh, is the engineers. I think the characters are just a lot more likable and memorable. Yes. And versus and in Covenants, obviously we have Fastbender leading this movie and carrying it on his shoulders like a fucking god. And then <laughs> Billy Crudup as Orem, who is the world's worst leader. I don't love the character. Obviously, you need someone there to be. It's a good character in terms of conflict. It works because he wasn't the established leader on board. Yeah, he became the leader. He becomes the faith-based character similar to Elizabeth Shaw's character in the first film, which I think they need because these both these movies have massive religious allegory, not mm-hmm. just the concept of creation versus religion but also just the religion in general the the motifs yeah Yeah, faith versus science we also have which can coincide i think that's what these show these films show as well Uh, danny mcbride is tennessee i love danny mcbride but he's too similar to idris elba's character like another southern pilot you know (laughs) (laughs) except he wears a cowboy hat (laughs) and then we have Catherine uh, watterson captain Catherine watterson Catherine watterson (laughs) Catherine watterson uh, who plays Daniels, basically the the lead after David. She's from the Fantastic Beasts franchise, really great actress, but I think she's too much in terms of trying to create a new Ripley, where Elizabeth Shaw was very much her own kind of character, but I think that Daniels is too replicated off of Ripley from the original two films. And then we have also... Demi Bichir, yeah. who plays Lope. He's from The Hateful Eight, you might yep. recognize uh, Oscar nominee too Absolutely Jesse Smollier Amy Sementez Kaye Hernandez <laughs> You went through that one real quick <laughs> Jesse Smollier uh, I'm Jesse Smollier <laughs> You're no longer a Jesse He's a Jesse <laughs> Chris Rock reference So the cast I think In supporting characters In Alien Covenant They're solid They're good But I think Prometheus Just has a better Supporting cast of characters I completely agree And one of the reasons For that is There's less of them in Alien Covenant, there's probably about 14 people on board as the crew. I think it's a crew of 14, whereas Prometheus was like a crew of like eight. Uh, so you really get a sense for everyone because there's less people to look at. And then I think I completely agree because the Alien Covenant, half of the people die. You don't even know their names. You can't. You, they're they, they're short-lived characters. But I just the ones call that, them like that one's husband, that one's yeah, wife, basically. Exactly. And it's there is that. I do like how it's a bunch of couples because. The, they're going to a colony, so they the yeah, mission called for couples to be involved in the crew for it to make sense. Like, we're trying to procreate. We're trying to build a new civilization. So y'all need to be sleeping together <laughs> if you want to join this mission. <laughs> we need some babies when we get to Orgai 6. So I, I, I like that, but I do agree the crew is much less memorable. But I do think – well, hold on real quick. They don't need babies. They got embryos already. Good to go. Yeah, but it still helps to make babies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get it started. Go yeah, like, yeah, immediately. Yeah, yeah. So that's why Coop's going to see Brandon <laughs> Interstellar. He's like trying to get laid. <laughs> so, but I do actually, I don't mind how similar some of the characters are to previous films. I do think maybe McBride being like another like Southern guy as the pilot, that because they just did with Idris, but it's fine. I'm fine with it because I love Danny. I do like Catherine Watterson's character as Daniels because 
they're not making a secret of of saying this is like this is the Ripley of the story. They're doing it on purpose. Even the wardrobe's the same. The hair is very similar. Well, the hair in, a, in Aliens. The thing is, because Prometheus came out with such basically polarizing responses from audiences, this is what I meant where they went back to the roots of the franchise. They went back to what are the things people want to see in this kind of movie? They, they had those conversations. Prometheus wasn't well-received. People weren't happy. They're like, okay, what do our fans want to see in this movie? They want to see Xenomorphs. And they want to see a Ripley character, and they want to see like a bunch of shit going down that isn't too big, and they want to see a cool, <laughs> a cool android. <laughs> so stripping it down to the bare bones, and then we're getting something that the, the Prometheus didn't have—a very exciting third act, kind of like a downward trend in terms of the, the 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 structure of the story. It was just like kind of underwhelming, kind of fell flat. Whereas the third act of Alien Covenant. It's awesome. It's just like the third acts of Alien and Aliens, which are two of my favorite third acts ever because they're so intense, they're so suspenseful, great action, and great scares. And we get that in the third act of Alien Covenant. So they just went back to the drawing board of like, what are the main beats? What are the archetypes of this story? And what do fans want? And they gave them that because of how audiences reacted to the Prometheus. So I actually don't, I like Daniels in this film. And it's like it's not like I would say I'm, they're doing a rip off of Ripley. They're just like, all right, this is this is the Ripley character. We get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that I, I, I liked Elizabeth Shaw's character more than Daniels because of how different she was from Ripley. Because clearly the short hair, scientist, everything like that. Yeah. Even though Ripley's Ripley's not a scientist. Ripley is what she's uh she's not a science officer, is she? No, fuck. <laughs> I can't remember what Ripley's profession is in the in the original film. But I think that's why I liked Elizabeth Shaw's character a little more than Daniels. This, they're both great, but they're both clearly, this is the Ripley of the movie. But but going more into why I think Prometheus's third act is a little weak in that story, it seems like they dipped their toes into the idea of the engineers and creators, but didn't finish what their original ideas were. Yeah. So I think it would have been better if they explored those ideas a little more versus mm-hmm. just the opening in the third act is really all we get with the creators. Maybe a little more lore building with the creators. In Prometheus you're talking about? Yeah, Prometheus. Okay. Yeah. Of who the engineers are because they dabble in it, but then it just seems a little too fast and too rushed when the engineer wakes up. He wakes up and immediately kills kills Wayland. Let me go destroy Earth. Decapitates. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so yeah. it's too fast for when we finally wake the engineer up to what is the point of the engineer and... I think maybe a little more of the background of the engineers, which we get somewhat in Alien Covenant when obviously we get the flashback of David when he uh, arrives at the alien at the engineer's home planet. You can yes. assume one of their cities. It seems like a religious city. It seems like a temple. Seems like a very much inspired by ancient Rome. Yeah, the kind and, of city. And it he is. gets there and he deploys the virus that they created to destroy worlds to destroy them. And so we got a little bit of the background on them when we're there at their temple, but still I think the idea of who the engineers are was just – I think the ideas were there and probably larger when they were first writing the original drafts of the script for Prometheus. They kind of abandoned it by the third act and then explored it a little more in Alien Covenant, which I, which is maybe one of the reasons why I like Alien Covenant more. I, my One of my issues with Prometheus is that we never got the chest burster of the engineer in his cockpit yeah. suit. Yeah. So obviously he gets – uh, that giant face hugger fills him up with an egg, 
at the end of Prometheus, but we never got the whole point of the movie was to explain the engineer's chest burst from the crew that discovered it from the Nostromo in the first alien where they're looking at the, the cockpit and they're like, Oh my God, what is the disc, the disc jockey like that, like the chest burster of the disc jockey. Like one of my biggest problems with Prometheus was that was never, I thought they were setting the whole movie up to explain, to give us that scene. And it never happened. And also before they even enter that chamber of the ship. So in Prometheus, (laughs) when they finally get into the ship and they find all the dead bodies and the 2000 year old skeletons, basically of Mm -hmm. these creators and engineers and alien beings, they reference that even before they're in that chamber, that their chests have been opened up from the inside. Mm-hmm. So I thought we'd get an answer to that, right? Because that's that same ship. Yes, yes, you're right. And so same what, ship. what caused the chestbursters to come out, whatever version of the chestbursters are, of the engineers outside of the, I guess, the control station chamber? Mm-hmm. So I think that they set things up in Prometheus that once they changed the idea of what the trajectory of the story should be, they just kind of abandoned those ideas to give us more of an alien bare bones movie with Covenant. And so they abandoned a lot of things they were setting up in the first film, I think. And that's why, I think that's why they had David destroy the race of engineers in Alien Covenant right away so that they could just abandon that entire story trajectory. Well, I would love to answer that question of are all the engineers gone by this film after we go to our intermission great cliffhanger and we'll talk more about prometheus and alien covenant and the best way to support raiders of the lost podcast before we continue is to become a patron at patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast every single patron has access to bonus episodes of the show every week this week we did a bonus episode on napoleon speaking of ridley scott every patron has access to that episode on patreon.com as well as you can connect your spotify account and listen to it on spotify and also at a minimum tier payment of $5 a month, you get access to the ad-free version of every single episode on Patreon and Spotify if you sign up. We have five different tiers of membership. Each one has awesome perks. Go check it out. And also, you can leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple. They really help us get seen by new people on those platforms and chart higher and higher every month. And also, another incredible way to support the show is just share us with your friends and family and your Instagram stories, Twitter, TikTok, whatever. Word of mouth is the best way to help a podcast grow. So share us with all your movie-loving friends and family members today. This episode, of course, is sponsored by our friends at MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Be sure to use our promo code Raiders10 at MoviePosters.com to get 10% off your order right now, MoviePosters.com also does a bi-monthly movie poster giveaway with us. Congratulations to our winner from last week that we did a contest in the Arrival episode for. We're going to do a contest this upcoming week, so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, the holiday season is here. There's no better gift to get the movie lover in your life than some badass movie posters from MoviePosters.com. And be sure to use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order. Right meow. Right meow. Now. Meow. Meow. Let's get into our. <laughs> Sorry, Juno's on the mic. Let's get into our intermission. Want to do superlatives? Let's do superlatives. So, who is your MVP of the? Should we just do the entire? Both yeah, that's all. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Of the prequel <laughs> franchise, that's clearly David, and so Michael Fassbender. Uh-huh. So the character of David, played by Michael Fassbender, I think, 
it all hinges on him, him, especially Alien Covenant. So I think that Michael Fassbender's performance is really extraordinary, especially in the second film because he's playing two synthetics. He's playing David and Walter, very different personalities, very different interpretations of the synthetic. Where, like we said earlier, Walter's very he's advanced compared to to David, although yeah. he's lost a lot of the humanity that they gave David. He can't like Walter. David says to him. They created you so you can't create, but there are symphonies hiding inside of you. You have symphonies in you, brother. But then the third act of Alien Covenant, obviously we're spoiling these movies, when we discover, and on second watches it's really great, that David has killed Walter, has assumed his identity, and has has boarded basically the Covenant ship and is taking the colony to Aurigai 6, which becomes LVN 426, which Mm -hmm. is where the outbreak happens for the original film. The, The acting here is terrific because... He's putting on the physical characteristics and traits of Walter in terms of his physicality and his voice. But you can see in his eyes, I when I watch this, I see Fassbender's eyes. His eyes are David, even though his voice is Walter. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm just reading too much into his performance. I feel the same thing. I feel like I can see David's fucking eyes in Walter's voice. And I think it's just such an incredibly nuanced performance for the last half hour of the film. And it's incredible. I completely agree. And he's my MVP too because... Of everything you just said, and also, he's really the, the only consistent thing in both films that completely works. And you can't, we can't give MVP really to anyone else because the writing was too, shifted too much in the filmmaking, and really Scott's ideas for the vision of the franchise changed so much where it's like, Fastbender was really the only consistent part that was phenomenal. Yeah, and I mean, if they got to make the third film, if Ridley got to do Alien Awakenings... That would have been the colony, obviously, and David would have been the mastermind, and he would have fulfilled this plan where, obviously, he sneaks two embryos of chest bursters, face, I mean, face hugs. We could have seen him make the farm. Exactly, but we also would have seen the creation or the origins of the Queen Alien Oh yeah, as well, which you can assume probably would have burst out of Daniel's chest. Mother. She probably would have been the creation of used to create the the alien queen which would have been so Man, cool i would i would i'd really love to see this movie so he's my mvp obviously you know I, i'm guessing we both have him for best actor oh yeah, yeah best bender's fast bender man all right what's the best shot in both films it's tough to choose so if i had to pick one from prometheus it's the close-up of the drop where mm-hmm. david looks at the drop and there's just basically a galaxy of who knows what's going on inside there and he says big things have small beginnings and then also you also see the Wayland stamp on his yeah. fingerprint and then in Covenant, it would be the Xenomorph on top of the shipping spacecraft that they're using to escape from the planet. And so this is when Daniels is fighting the Xenomorph on top of it on the exterior of the ship on the surface. Mm-hmm. And there's a great shot. It's from the trailer as well. It's a terrific shot of the Xenomorph in pouncing position. Just It's the money shot. It's great. It's the money shot. It's the money shot. I have my favorite shot is the... The uh, slight long takes, a minute long take of the flute scene. Good shot. With Walter and David because they do it in one take. And it's really seamless CGI with uh, Fastbender and his stunt, his body double. And the camera, what it does is it, it starts with a two shot. Then it actually weaves behind both characters. So it moves behind David. And then it moves back in the other direction behind Walter. But it doesn't cut. And the CGI is so seamless. You feel you do, really do feel like both like Fastbender's playing both roles, and it just completely works. I think it's the most impressive shot in both films. It is an impressive, it's shot. really fantastic. All right, what's the best line? 
I was going to say, uh, big things have small beginnings. Great line. Thanks. My favorite line is, bring me tea, David. Bring me the tea. It's a moment where Waylon is trying to exercise his power over David, and we're already seeing David question his existence immediately upon his birth. And again, Waylon says that to him because he feels inferior now to exactly. David. Waylon did it as like, I need to get out of this conversation with him, basically. I need to exert my dominance. And the fact that he had to ask multiple times for David, who should have immediately gone right to the T the first time Waylon gave him the instruction, showed so much with both characters. Just a very simple line. I think it's really smart. All right, what's the best scene of both movies? Oh, man, that's tough. I would say (laughs) the best scene is, I think, when... David is Walter, right, in the third act, and they got away. They killed the xenomorph on the ship, Sure. and Tennessee goes to sleep, and then (laughs) Walter helps uh, Daniels go to sleep, and, all right, have a good slumber, basically. (laughs) And then she's in the the sleeping chamber, and it's starting to initiate its process of putting her to sleep, to stasis, and she asks, will you help me build my log cabin on the— or a guy six, will you help me build the cabin by the lake? Yeah. And and obviously this is James Franco's cameo in the beginning of the fir- of Alien Covenant when he gets burned alive. That's her husband. They were going to build a lake on this new planet. I she mean, told, a cabin on the lake. She told Walter all about it. Yeah. And David's like in his head. He's like, she's like, he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, what? and she sees the the how David or how Walter doesn't understand what she's talking about. And immediately realizes that Walter is actually David. And she can't escape. She's being put to sleep. So she goes to sleep screaming no, realizing that David is now in control of the ship. And he's going to basically infect the colony. And who knows? I, that's why I would love to see Alien Awakenings and how they make it. Because I'm sure he waits and bides his time until the colony's set up. And then, boom, does it. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. It's great. It's a great ending. My favorite scene is, I actually really like the Ozymandias scene of David destroying the engineers. I thought it was really incredible and powerful and surprising and just destructive. Like, it was so shocking, I remember seeing in, in theaters. And then just just him killing the entire race of species with that, with saying that line from the poem. I thought it was really great. And also there's religious allegory there too because it's clearly David's viewed at as a god in this film, and what's he do to this race of people? He sends a plague on them yeah. to kill them. I think it was really cool. I think it's really it's, cool. It's scene. really similar. It looks like the locusts in Egypt. And then my second favorite scene is, again, Walter and David playing the flute. I thought it was really interesting. It's a really, really terrific Be- scene. Because David references, you know, the earliest human beings, the earliest Neanderthals, you know, when they, they at one moment they're, uh, blowing into reeds to entertain their children, and then in an instant, we have civilizations. And it's just like, it's a great uh, inst- uh, precursor for basically the evolution of mankind. You know, the beginnings of art in terms of music. I thought it was a great line. Yeah. And that's why they he plays the flute. And you can s- clearly assume that from the moment he was turned on, you could say he's always looked down on humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, what is your movie quote competition quote? All right, let's yeah, get into the intermission. You ready for this quote competition? Oh, I'm ready. I used to work there. My brother did too. My grandfather too. My family's always been in meat. Huh. Say it again. I used to work there. My brother did too. My grandfather too. My family's always been in 
meat. Inglorious Bastards? No. I don't know. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> it's fucked up. Hitchhiker. <laughs> it's messed up. All right. I don't read I don't read the script. Script the script reads me. <laughs> I can uh there's actually a question asked before that line to help you out if you want. Hold on, say it one more time. I don't read the script. The script reads me. Oh man, what is this? It sounds insanely familiar. Yeah, ask the question. You you guys all read the script, right? I don't read the script. Oh, yeah. The script reads me. Tropic Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk Lazarus. <laughs> I'll drop character until I do the DVD commentary. Guess this movie release here, Anthony. I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. I'm a lead farmer, motherfucker. Planet of the Apes. The oh, original. The original. 1974. 1968. Fuck, that's old. It's an old-ass movie. Damn. Actually, I'd like to watch that soon. Charlton Heston. Yeah, it's a great movie. What year did The Foot Fist Way come out? 2008? 2006. Damn. It was his big breakout. Yeah. And then Rogan and Evan Goldberg, when they were writing Pineapple, they saw that. They are like, this guy is perfect for Red. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you can remember that date. He's talking about Danny McBride. Pineapple, Pineapple was 2008. Yeah, he, he plays the the karate instructor, the dojo. He's an he's a idiotic karate teacher. Yeah. <laughs> sensei. <laughs> sensei. Who doesn't know what he's talking about. It's really funny. <laughs> it's similar to uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Like, yeah, it Rex. has a very yeah. Napoleon Dynamite kind of tone. Rex something. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah sort of. It's really the funny. The sensei that teaches self-defense. <laughs> Moving on to the movie pop quiz time. Anthony and listeners, who directed... Planet of the Apes. Um, I don't know. Franklin J. Schaffner. Franklin J. Schaffner. Franklin J. Schaffner. What else has Franklin done? Uh, Patton. Oh, cool. The war film. Um, Sphinx. Did he do Papillion? No. Papillon. Papillon. Lionheart. Hmm. Oscar winner. Papillon's good. Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, he, yeah, he did it. It's a good one. Papillon, yeah. Pa Papillon Patton. I watched. I they did a they did a remake of Papillon with Rami Malek and Charlie Hunnam. It's terrible. I turned it off. When did that come out? Like four years ago. I turned it off after twenty minutes. It's just like it just wasn't that good. I don't think I remember even seeing that advertised. Hmm. Yeah, no one saw it. No one saw yeah. it. <laughs> even Charlie Hunnam and <laughs> Rami Malek didn't see it. <laughs> I thought it was a weird movie to remake. I don't know. It was kind of odd. Yeah. All right, here's my quiz question. How many TV shows has Danny McBride has Danny McBride created and starred in? Can you guess them and can you name them? Oh, my God. All right. Righteous Gemstones. Yes. The fucking Kenny Powers show. What's it called? Fucking. It's not the name. I know. Um, <laughs> Eastbound and Down. Yes. And so, oh man, it's like all I can think of at the top of my head for. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna guess he. So he and Walton Goggins, they did another one before Righteous Gemstones that was just canceled after one season. I can't remember what it's called. It's called Vice Principals. That's right. They were, Vice Principals. Yeah, they were like rivals going up for the vice yeah, principal yeah, yeah, job yeah. of uh, elementary school. Yeah, is that it? Just three? Yeah, just three. Cool. But I mean, that's a lot to create three TV shows yeah. in, in like ten years. 
crazy guy. Plus the Halloween franchise. Yeah, plus that. Well, he did the good one. <laughs> he wrote all. He helped write all three. Yeah. He also helped write the story of Exorcist Believer. Oh man. Yeah, he got his story credit on. Is he homies with uh, David Gordon Green? They're pals. Yeah. Yeah. Because David Gordon Green made the um, what's that night movie that he's Danny McBride, Your Highness, with Natalie Portman and Franco. So he wrote and, and directed that, and then McBride helped write it. I don't think people really liked that movie. Nobody liked that yeah, movie. It was, it was terrible. It was okay. No, that movie's terrible. It was okay. It's awful. Stoners and... It's like Robin Hood with stoners. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of Franco, he actually has a, a random cameo in Alien Covenant. He's on... He's, so he's Daniel's husband who burns alive in the during the uh, solar flare of the opening of Alien Covenant. Now, this isn't just a random cameo. He actually had three deleted scenes in this film. So he actually had a more significant role... I'm guessing there were maybe flashbacks with Daniels and him because he died so early in the film. But he did have a more significant role that ended up getting cut. Oh, so that's why it. it's no, it's more than just like that iPhone Go, GoPro footage of him. It's brutal when he burns alive, man. Yeah, it's, it's fucked up. I like the opening. I, th- I think the opening of that solar flare incident of a couple of deaths on board, I think it was a powerful opening. And also I, I liked how what really did where that had never been done before because we've seen the crew – a crew waking up on a spaceship so many times now, right? It's been done so, so many times. But he's like, what if they get woken up because of an emergency and they have to immediately wake up and solve and fix the emergency? So I, I really like that. Like, there's shit's on fire. The ship's uh, malfunctioning. They're at risk of the ship completely de- being destroyed. They have to wake up from cryosleep and immediately, like, gather themselves and get to work. I, lo- I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and speaking of that shockwave, it's I, I would have liked to know if there were an, there was an origin for it that was related shockwave to, origins. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's just a coincidence. Obviously, they get yeah. woken up by this universe sh- shattering shockwave near them, and then boom, they get a a reading in a transmission. Oh, from yeah, the, close planet. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe there was an idea to explore that because even the captain asks, "I want to know where this came from," and even Walter's like, there's no way to explain or to this to find the origin of a shockwave storm like that. It's just random. But the captain wants to discover. But it's also, I guess, you got to wake everyone up somehow to get this plot going. So exactly. it's, it's plot armor yeah. in a way. It's it's kind of a coincidental, but it's a movie, so you got to kind of accept that. I mean, the Nostromo hearing a signal is coincidental. You know, true. It's all coincidental. Yeah, that's the whole thing. These these things they don't. That's never the plan. You know, they're all. You know, they're all coincidences, so it's, it's fine. a nice coincidence. Yeah, to wake everyone up and receive a transmission. Just saying, hey, it happens in saying, happens in Alien. every space movie though. <laughs> happens in Alien. There'd be no movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, maybe point. that maybe it ties to the religion aspect of maybe fate, fate, or like something like that. Yeah, there's a, good a point. reason determinism why. is supposed yeah. to happen. Yeah, the uh, the future is already determined, or like. The evolution of the race is this is the catalyst for it. Maybe it's that. It's possible. Yeah. All right. What's your streaming recommendation? My streaming recommendation is going to be Death on the Nile, which is nice. on Hulu. So obviously Disney bought 20th Century Studios. So now all alien movies belong to Disney, and that's why these movies are on Hulu. Weird. Although Alien Covenant, uh, you have to rent. 
unfortunately. Yeah. Unless you have Hulu Live, then you can watch it live. Yeah, I try. I've, I was like, this is Hulu Live. Yeah, I think I'm going to get rid of my Hulu subscription because even though the There's movies, no they, movies you can't it. watch it. There's no good movies on it. So it makes no sense that they don't just have all of 20th century movies on Hulu. Because they, they want to make you rent and make a little extra money off of it. So I just went to Amazon and rented it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Th- yeah, but who do you think is getting a cut of that? 20th century. They're getting a cut of every sale. Every rental. Disney. Yeah. yeah. So they want you to rent it. So yeah. it's the thing is, very popular movies, they are oftentimes going to be harder to stream for free most of the time. And because they studios know they can make money always with rentals from their most popular names. So Alien's the only one available to watch on Hulu if you just have a normal subscription. But you can watch Aliens on Max. Yeah, it's all over the, <laughs> the licensing for movies is all over the fucking and then, place. I think you can watch Prometheus on Netflix. <laughs> Honestly, Honestly. Yeah, you can. I yeah. did. I watched Prometheus so on Prometheus Netflix. Prometheus is on Netflix, and then Alien is on Hulu, and then Aliens is on Max. And then you have to rent Alien Covenant. And they're all owned by Disney. Yeah. All the movies are owned by <laughs> Disney. <laughs> and you can watch Alien 3 on, is on Hulu as well, but nobody's watching it. So, wow. <laughs> do we have any unsubscribes this week? Yes, or any we haters? do. We do. I would I just, love to I hear just them. gather them. Gather those. Okay, we got Nathan, Nathanos. <laughs> no, you did Nathanos uh, last week. Did I? Yeah. With the poster? Yeah, I remember Nathanos. Maybe, well, he does make a lot of okay, subscribes. Like, this is a new one. He, in our poster, in our arrival episode, he wrote, if I don't win this poster giveaway, I'm going to unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah, I think I did that last episode. All right, here's a new one. Ruari McGrath wrote, you guys should host a Dune 2 watch party in Scotland. Or I'll have to unsubscribe. That'd be cool. Or it'll be fun. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, that'd be. That'd We're be gonna have to see it in Scotland. Yeah, and then da-da-da-da. Sanjay Krishnan wrote in our Homelander clip about Black Noir. I don't buy it. Black Noir doesn't have doesn't even have a cape. Unsubscribed in terms of being Homelander. Yeah, being the clone. You're getting a little better at saying Noir. Getting there. You get Anthony. You still can't say Noir. <laughs> noir. Noir. Black Noir. 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 There you go. Noir. Yeah. Noir. Flourish Black it. Noir. Flourish Whoa, it. Well, I figured it out. There you go. <laughs> you just say R at the end. It, it took, noir. It took three weeks for him to say Noir. You know, big things have small beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Jai Kaminsky wrote in our Batman Begins Movies from Memory, calls Batman Spider-Man one hour, 20 minutes in unsubscribing. <laughs> <laughs> you did call him Spider-Man. <laughs> In our Batman Begins movie's memory, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he actually even sent a screenshot of the time code. My bad, Jai. <laughs> hey, it's uh, movies from memory are a different beast. They are a different animal. You're in a it's, brain fog. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah. Know, I black out after those. I can't even remember what we talk about. Honestly, we have a great five star <laughs> review <laughs> from "That's What She Said" podcast. <laughs> That's a great name. Fun listen. Love these guys. Infectious energy and passion for film. Great fun listening in on their repertoire. And I always learn something new about old movies I love and something to love about the new stuff coming out. Reparte. Repertoire. I guess that's, yeah, I guess I've never seen that word spelled Reparte. No, well, I said You're it right. making fun of me for noir. No, I said it right, <laughs> asshole. But then I'm just reading it like how it's spelled. <laughs> repertoire. It's French. No, I know, but isn't there a... I feel like there's a... How's it, how, how is this spelled? So, repart with an E at the end. Reparte. Yeah, that sounds right. Repertoire? No, it's not repertoire. Say it's spell it for me. R E P A R T E. A R T E. I think there's an I in there. Oh, repartee. Rapport? 
So there's so it's there's two e's at the end of it. Repartee uh-huh. is a conversation. Oh wow, that's a smart listener. Oh, they spelled it right. Repartee, yeah. or is it three e's? Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's two e's. Repertoire is yeah, repertoire is o i r at the end. Yeah, o o i r e. Repartee. Repartee. I'm gonna add that to my vocabulary. Repartee. A conversation or speech characterized by quick, witty comments or replies. I love that. I like that. This is yeah. We have a great repartee because repertoire is like uh, chemistry, right? Repertoire is a stock of lahan. It's like an inventory. Yeah, an inventory. <laughs> like my repertoire is a bunch of guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Repartee. Hey, that's what she said. Oh, podcast. that yeah. Repertoire is like what I have in yeah an inventory. inventory yeah, yeah. yeah. Repartee. Repartee. Our listeners are like, these guys are idiots. They don't know what <laughs> repartee is. I don't think I've ever seen that word or in like I've heard it, but I feel like I've never read it before. Here, let's uh Repartee. 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 Rep- no, I got it right, man. Repartee. 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 <laughs> That's a weird word to say. <laughs> I like All it. Right, That's yeah. a great word. Repartee. That's what she said, podcast. Thanks for the vocab drop. Wow, thank you. Worthy wise. And for the five star review. We appreciate you so much. Fuck yeah. Now, are we getting back into Alien? Let's do it, man. And I mean, well, we're getting back into Prometheus and Alien Covenant, but I just really love being in the world uh-huh. of Alien Aliens. Obviously, everyone knows how much we love those movies. And what's really interesting about Prometheus specifically, kicking off this. Hoped, hoped to have been prequel, prequel trilogy was the tech. Now, obviously the tech in Alien and Aliens looked very sophisticated for the time, but it didn't end up being what futuristic tech would be like for what we know it. But it still looked good at the time, and I still like it. It's very analog at the time. It's what they could do. Now, with Prometheus, even though this mission predates the Nostromo, by about 20 years, 25 years, something like that, because then Alien Covenant, the Covenant ship is 17 years before sure. the Alien sh- Nostromo ship. The tech seems more advanced, obviously. They did the opposite thing as the Star Wars movies. However, Ridley Scott explained why. So the tech in Prometheus, it's not super advanced compared to the Nostromo mission from 1979 and then Aliens. We have touch screens and stuff like that and more advanced looking suits so in order but i mean when you're making the movies i i don't blame them for doing it and making it like better tech because the thing is 40 years it's hard for the audience to accept that the tech is still low five when we know that this is dated to us in it's dated to us right now yeah so you have to blend in alien it was futuristic but now that tech is dated to us, so you can't do that same tech anymore. But there's an explanation in, in terms of they basically blend it, but Ridley Scott basically said that to explain it, the Prometheus mission was a much more advanced technological expedition. Sure. Versus, he says, the Nostromo, it's not a really a scientific exposition, uh, ex- expedition. They're, they got ore. That's what that's what their mission so, is. Yeah, Nostromo it's, is a government mission. Like, no, yeah. The Nostromo is like blue-collar employees yes. versus the Prometheus and even the Covenant missions are much more advanced tech, so that's why they have more advanced-looking technology. I mean, Wayland funded it with a trillion dollars, so it's they have all the best that money can pay for. The blue-collar sector is so underfunded, hence why the Nostromo, it's a mining mission. They're yeah. mining ore and bringing it back. That's why it's very low-fi, low-tech, low-cost. It's, it's a very inefficient mission. Yeah, it's, just, yeah, yeah. it's just 
brunt work for me basically. i don't care if, i don't care if they went super advanced because i'm like there's just the times have changed the world has changed True. so you, you gotta make it feel to the audience like this is the, something in the future whereas like when you look at it, it doesn't make sense because we know technology is so advanced now like yeah so for me but it makes sense why yes, yeah. the Prometheus mission would have more advanced tech than the Nostromo. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, I think that with Star with the Star Wars sequels, they could have gone, they could have updated the tech. I think, like especially the screens and stuff, especially the radar screens and the shooting. Like, they still it had the same exact look as the original Star Wars films, which I mean, it's fun and everything. But like, I wouldn't have minded if they updated the tech to make it more advanced for us to understand it. I mean, it's it's Star Wars. It's different because Star Wars it's it's taken itself out of our reality in True, terms yeah. of our tech and yeah. a lot. So I, I I actually like how Star Wars they kept that same tech and look and aesthetic, just cleaner uh -huh. looking uh, than it, well the holograms. I'm just saying I wouldn't have minded if they made it a little more advanced looking, but I don't think they needed to because yeah, they need to. because the Alien franchise is so close to our reality in terms of time and mm -hmm. dates. You know, they're only. 80 years in the future really yeah 70 years in the future true true that. way less than that actually so uh, that but that's a good reason why release really sky explains that difference in tech yeah makes sense it's a combination of all of that yeah. but it still looks really good and they they do an excellent job of not going too advanced with the technology and this both these films they production made great use of iceland for many of the landscapes so many of the alien planet landscapes for both planets a lot of that was filmed in Iceland, and it just really looks spectacular. Ridley Scott is a huge believer in practical effects and using as little CGI as possible. And they went very practical with the production, and really they just used CGI where they had no other option. And he said that using CGI is way more expensive than using practical effects, so that a lot of the aliens that we see, a lot of like especially the smaller aliens, that squid alien that has in the C-section scene, it's all practical, and it does look better. And it makes a lot of sense where it's more expensive. The engineers, it's all practical. None of that CGI. Those are actual suits that the, the stunt doubles and stunt performers are wearing. Whereas it might... I remember when I first saw Prometheus, I was like, wait, is that CGI or is that real? And it actually is like men in suits. So oftentimes practicality looks even better than CGI can ever look. So he, I think that Ridley Scott, he's always been a great user of practical effects. Although in Alien Covenant, they really couldn't avoid not doing cgi which unfortunately they had to do for pretty much everything when it comes to the aliens and the xenomorphs and the face huggers however in prometheus that giant face hugger for some of the close-ups of it it's actually just a giant face hugger that they made in real in reality and it's a practical effect and damn specifically when we get the inside of it with its giant mouth clamping when it's attacking the the engineer and we see like the eyes and the teeth and it's about to suction itself onto the engineer's face <laughs> obviously the exterior shot of it absorbing the creator yeah. and, and incubating him is cgi but when we get that great shot of just underneath the what it looks like underneath a face hugger that's practically done it's a cool creation and even the abdominal surgery scene was real so for shaw's scene a fake silicon body was attached to numi rapace from the shoulders down the small trilobite which is the alien inside of her and the amniotic sac that is pulled from her fake body was an animatronic creature wrapped in a condom filled with fake blood. Very old school effects. A crew member punctured the condom with a razor, and they removed the crew member in post production, obviously, so that the amniotic sac would explode violently. 
They experimented with amber and milky colored fluid at first to secure an R rating, but were eventually allowed to use a version with red blood. Stapling the wound afterwards was actually an idea by Ridley Scott as an improvised last-minute thing. So that scene, the reason why it's so visceral is because most of that is practical CGI. And then during production, Sir Ridley Scott, we keep forgetting the Sir, Sir Ridley Scott kept the use of CGI as low as possible. He recalled advice visual effects supervisor Douglas Trumbull gave him on the set of Blade Runner. And so Trumbull said, his one of his sayings is, if you can do it live, do it live. He also claimed that practical effects were, like I said earlier, much more cost-effective than the digital, digital visual effects. Monster effects like the Deacon and the Hammerpede were done practically as much as possible. The Hammerpede was the little snake-like alien. In Prometheus and the Weapons In Prometheus, Devo. yeah, exactly. And so, but obviously there's some CGI done as well. The giant Trilobite facehugger, like you said, was a full, full model size uh, practical effect. Weta Digital and Movie Picture Company provided all of the CGI shots, of which there were 1,300 CGI effects shots in the entire film. And uh, Alien Covenant, I wish they would have gone practical with the Xenomorph as much as possible. It's tough in daylight. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And even inside the temple... The Xenomorph CGI in those little mini Xenomorphs, whatever the the pre version of the Xenomorphs are that David's working on. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I really wish they could have done practical effects, but in terms of seeing the full potential of the physicality of the Xenomorph, which we'd never really gotten before, it's great from a practical standpoint. Yeah. It was pretty cool to see. So even though it's CGI, the Xenomorph and Alien Covenants, I still accept that. It looks excellent in the exterior ships, ship shots. Yeah. But in the cave, when it jumps down to kill that guy, it doesn't look amazing. It didn't hold up super well when I watched it recently. But I still accept the fact that they went CGI with Xenomorph in the second film. And, I mean, we had never seen the Xenomorph in daylight, really. Ever. And this is the first time we really saw a Xenomorph in daylight. I'm thinking. Even in the Alien vs. Predator movies, I can't think of, like, the Xenomorph in daylight. Like, fully exposed... It's just completely out there. And I thought they did a great job. And it was a lot of fun. It's, Even it's the over-the-shoulder over shot of it is really yeah. cool when the ship's taken off in Alien Covenant. Yeah, they did a great job, I think, with the CGI in the film. Although, there are a couple shots of the small white facehugger. I mean, the small white recently born alien that don't look to totally great, but you accept it. But I will say, one of the best scenes in the entire two movies is that backburster scene. That's a great sequence, and it's really scary. And in Alien Covenant, yeah, and and then one of the scientists she gets locked in to the med med pod with the guy as he's his back's getting torn open. That is a scary scene. They did a great job with that. And this this xenomorph, well, you can't technically call it a xenomorph. It's a different kind of morph. It has like those incredibly sharp spikes. And I like how this this animal, as we've been told so many times in the films, is a perfect being the xenomorph is like the fully realized final version of it obviously perfect organism perfect organism but the the little white xenomorph even that is extremely tough uh, extremely lethal even when it's recently born so i like that because in alien because of effects they couldn't really show the recently born xenomorph do much except for just like run away uh, and it was a little puppet obviously but i do enjoy in alien covenant getting to see how lethal the recently born aliens can be. And the the first xenomorph that David successfully creates out of the chest in, of the captain, 
I like how he stands up and replicates David yeah. David's movements, and they do sort of like a, a Jesus pose, yeah. like sort of a resurrection pose, which is really interesting. It's perfectly safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime David says perfectly safe, it's not. And I also really like in Alien Covenant the POV Xenomorph vision. Great. It looks great. So Alien Cubed was the first time we sort of got a POV look through a, mm -hmm. a Xenomorph's eyes, but it wasn't done the same way as this. I think what they did was really effective and really cool, and everyone has always wondered, can the Xenomorph see? Because they technically don't really have eyes. So what what does their vision look like? Do they have sort of heat-seeking vision or sensory vision? But it's really cool to see— It's predator vision. Yeah, predator vision. <laughs> that's what I mean. To see the vision of the Xenomorphs inside its head, what it sees, it's really interesting. There's this sort of, like, interesting texture— that's moving and unfortunately we don't see what it looks like when it's looking at a target mm. but it's running through the hallways of the covenant ship mm -hmm. i thought it was a really awesome effect yeah i think that it doesn't need eyes because if it's a perfect organism it can hunt in in perf in pitch black it can sort of be like yeah. a daredevil sort of thing I, I think that it can see through sensory um sound and through smell and then it creates its vision that way, is my guess. Like, it probably has an incredible sense of smell and sound to create. It doesn't need sonar. So I think it's just so exceptional with its sight that it, it has to be able to see it dark if it really is the perfect organism. Do you think that the killing of the xenomorph in the Alien Covenant at the end, do you think it's too easy or too quick? I don't, I mean, I don't think it's quick. It's not it's not as scary obviously as Alien and Aliens. That is one of the downsides because Ripley by herself wandering through the ship in both films is whilst trying to self-destruct the ship and yes. then end the self-destruction. <laughs> Two of the scariest scenes ever, sequences ever. It's more than a scene. And both films do it perfectly. And Alien Covenant it's it's really good, it's fun, but you don't have that sense of fear really. And I think that they were just didn't have much time with the runtime. They're like, they have to they have to do something quick. And also, it wasn't the it wasn't the finale, basically. Mm -hmm. So, I would say that well, technically, it was well, the finale. It's, it's similar to Alien, where you think the climax is Ripley getting away yes. from the ship yes. after self destructing the Nostromo, blowing it up, and escaping. And then the Xenomorphs hiding out in there as well. Mm -hmm. We have kind of two climaxes, but that's the big climax, and there's kind of a secondary climax. Yeah. Same thing with Alien Covenant. I guess you could say they went to the blueprint of Alien, really, yeah. and have a massive climax of destroy of escaping the planet while killing the Xenomorph on that hauling ship that they're taking to get back to the Covenant ship. Mm -hmm. That's like the big climax, and then they defeat the Xenomorph. With the claw, with the crane. The claw. And then there's a secondary climax where they have to hunt down the yes. next xenomorph, which was accidentally, which was birthed from the facehugger that came and attacked the guy from, from Lope. Yeah. So I like the I like the fight on the ship exterior better than the the fight at the end with with McBride's character. I I, I really like the the rooftop battle with the with the xenomorph more. I do think it could have been better if the final confrontation was scarier, whereas if the Xenomorph could have gotten the upper hand a couple more times and like put her in a situation where she was very close to being killed by it. I would say that would have worked a little yeah, better. Yeah, the thing with Prometheus and Alien Covenant is the lack of the Xenomorph probably combined with both films is the biggest flaw, I think, probably. And especially because in Alien and Aliens, those are really great monster movies in yeah. addition to the second one being just a great action film. 
but the 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 hiding of the xenomorph, the stalking of the xenomorph of its prey, we never really got that outside of a couple scenes in Alien Covenant, obviously in the temple when the xenomorph first attacks them after it's been have had its growth period, which was very fast and very rapid compared to other movies, you could say. But plot needs it. So we never really got great sequences of the xenomorph stalking its prey. Exactly. If that makes sense. It's just we're following its POV, which is something that I really adore in Alien and Aliens is Xenomorph. You don't know where it is. It's hiding in the shadows. It's hiding in the shafts. It's hiding somewhere. Don't really get it. Yeah, I completely agree. It's not as it, the thing is, it's not really a horror movie in the same way that Alien is a horror movie. It's more of an action horror film. Alien, it fills you with dread, but there are some good scares in in Covenant. There are some good scenes. Like I said, that that med pod scene's really good. That's a good scare. Um, the shower scene's not really that scary, but Prometheus doesn't really have any scares at all. It, but it has some crazy shit, like the arm break is crazy. Uh, the 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 snake going into the guy's mouth is pretty wild. And then the giant face hugger is pretty scary. But other than that, Prometheus is really lacking in the horror and the shocks that you want from these movies. And then we get a lot of that in Covenant. I like the um I like the the super tall white alien with more of a humanoid um look to it and less mo- like I think that yeah. was a really cool design leading up to obviously the final xenomorph. I I like that alien a lot and then it, it's, it's really lethal and then like it literally decapitates the woman by biting into her neck. I think I like the alien a lot. It seems like that's almost David's perfect organism. It's just maybe he made it too human maybe, yeah. And then the xenomorph more of a, its own alien being but that's when i see that humanoid one it's almost a mixture of of too much humanity well david didn't make that so that came from the virus the bio virus that's what comes out of humans from the virus no i know but who do you but you can argue that david has been creating that virus and putting it botanically on this planet maybe maybe david has altered that virus so there maybe i don't think he's altered the virus but i think that you know the monsters that came from the engineers probably they either starved or they've moved on to different areas of the planet uh and i would say that just the remnant dust of the virus is still lingering around so obviously whatever creature walks around is going to get infected and then some kind of morph will come out of it so i don't think that he's affected that one at all but he's been trying to develop based upon the remnants of those aliens, he's been creating the final xenomorph out of that. Rather than he's not really doing anything with the virus that's in the air, he's using it to create the final version. Yeah, well, but then also when you link it to Prometheus in terms of this misty virus, this black mist, which is microscopic and infects people. So the infection of— Wait, in Prometheus, the mist? Okay, so it's only in, in it's only in Covenant. Okay, okay. Yeah, so there's no Feifeld gets infected from the the snake thing that goes yes. inside of his mouth, right? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. So it's the it's the goo, the too. goo, but it's also the goo that gets in his in his face after, and it sinks into the glass. Remember? So, okay, so that that at the end of the at, so Alien Covenant, this yes. this black mist virus comes from Prometheus when. David takes the weapons yes. from the basically military installation, brings it to the other planet when they crash, when they land at the engineer's yes, planet. Yes, lets it loose. Yeah. So, but you could so you could argue that David has, in a way, created these plants 
that hold this virus and maybe this is his his work of maybe he's done that yeah because because when you go through his basically his workshop his his place of of study where he's basically this he calls himself a zoologist now which is really interesting mm-hmm. and fun because i guess zoology applies to earth but now it's super it's just changed to a different part <laughs> of the universe now where these are but you can see the the different versions of aliens he's created you could say the versions the the, the stages of he's doing creating, bioengineering yeah basically yeah. his own chemistry his own bioengineering geneticists yeah. to create the perfect organism you can see the failed attempts of his creations and i think the humanoid version that white one that's standing tall with him is his almost perfect version of what he's trying to create the perfect organism but i think he's just it's stages and i i think that when obviously the the humans are are stepping on this planet that they think is going to be their oasis and obviously the first guy he touches he accidentally steps on one of the bulbs which mm-hmm. releases that uh the viral mist yeah. goes inside of his ear and infects him and then it happens to lope inside of the sh- the to- the temple mm-hmm. right or the ship i mean so maybe that's something that David's been developing because so, it wasn't there before. My, that's the weapon he brought to that planet. My guess is the way I look at it is he didn't do the plants. It, it was just the natural evolution of the vegetation. After taking, he's yeah. dropped so the... So after he dropped the virus, it killed all organics. that Because he says anything with meat, the virus takes out. It destroys. So I think they specifically said that because they didn't say organics. He said anything that's, that is made of meat non-botanical yeah that the virus destroys that and then anything anything that is plant life the plant life maybe merges with it and and evolves through the virus and the virus doesn't destroy plants it actually furthers its evolution in a way and becomes like its own parasite that's how i look at it so david didn't engineer the plants they engineered themselves biologically through evolution with its the virus um, coming to terms with coming into the vegetation. Yeah, but it's also different because it doesn't just infect. Well, something I, I don't love about Prometheus is when Fifield becomes like a zombie. Yeah, I don't really like that sequence. I don't like what happens with that character. I think they were just desperate for some sort of action sequence with a monster-like being. Yeah, because they don't really have it. Even that movie ends with the engineer xenomorph. It doesn't do anything. We don't get to see the fight against it or anything. It's just going to die alone on that planet, which yeah, it just squeals. Yeah. So they didn't really have that monster presence in Prometheus, and I think they tried to make up for it with the zombie creature. To we got to kill some people. We need some crazy event happening. I don't love the zombification, basically, of Feifeld after the snake. I don't love him. it either. I don't love it either. I think they improved upon it by far in Alien Covenant by making so, it a virus that really destroys you and also causes an alien to come out of you because that's what they do with covenant and it's different and so the this weapon in prometheus on this military installation planet yes is it different than what the engineer drinks in the opening of the film when he's on earth to disintegrate himself because it turns you could argue that virus turned fivefield into the zombie monster but it disintegrated the engineer. Is that the same thing you think? That's a great point, and it, I believe it is the same chemical, the same compound. But it's probably been designed for the engineer's biology, and maybe because it's such a little bit, and because his cells are being spread so thin at the molecular level through that river, that it's not really going to cause a, a monstrous viral outbreak. And it helps create. It changes the D, the DNA of the planet to create 
new life, I would say. Whereas, like, when when David drops the entire arsenal on the civilization, it's like such a lethal dosage where it just incapacitates and destroys. And so when he drops that on the city, uh, he says this virus either it either kills or it uses a body as a host for its new life. So maybe because it's such a small dosage and it spreads so thin through the river that it doesn't become something dangerous. It becomes life-bearing instead. I love the temple where it looks like the ruins of Pompeii from yeah. the volcanic eruption that happened it's thousands great. of years ago. And we just have basically sort of mummified statues of people who died and their bo- their bodies there. It's really interesting aesthetic. And I, I really I really think that's cool. But to answer the question I asked before intermission, are the engineers all dead, which we'll probably never get an answer to now that they didn't get to make the trilogy, if they were going to explore that, could you argue that the engineers are still out there in the universe? Was this their only home? Was this their only city? I find that doubtful. I think that David destroyed this planet's life, but I think that since they had a planet, a military planet, they have people. They have engineers living on different areas as well. If I, I'm guessing they have engineers on other planets for different reasons, and also probably other ships around the galaxy. And so I think that every every engineer on this planet was killed, but there are more out there. I would say I don't think that we would have seen them in Alien Awakening. Mm-hmm. I think the I think Alien Awakening would have just been the colony and David and Xenomorphs. That That's, would have been so good, man. That would have been awesome. On a huge scale, like imagine, like it would have been like alien scale, like number of al- like, number of xenomorphs against the colony of people. Like that would have been fucking awesome. That would have been incredible. It's too bad. It's a shame, honestly. It's a shame we didn't get it. Yeah, I'm pretty disappointed, especially after watching Covenant again, because I think Covenant has just such a strong ending and a strong second act that really fixes any qualms with Prometheus. Even though there are new questions asked after watching Covenant and yeah. from Prometheus and vice versa. We get a lot of questions answered in the world of Alien and Aliens, but questions are asked still. But I think that's why it's such a fascinating world, and it can still be mined and tapped for new content, new movies. Obviously, we're getting Fede Alvarez's Alien Romulus, which is coming out in 2024. Which Scott said is great. Yeah, he said it's excellent. I'm pretty excited for that film. And we're also getting the Alien TV show, which I'm not super thrilled about, but I'm going to stay optimistic about because it's set on Earth before the events of Alien even happen. So will the Xenomorphs even be in there? Gotta be. I think that Alien Covenant was... Uh, it, it, so what, it wasn't a total loss. It made $240 million on a $100 million budget. So it was profitable. It Probably just, by now it's made yeah. its money back. It just wasn't... Well, it's not well liked. And I do think it's because Prometheus irked people where they didn't even want to like Alien Covenant. And they didn't even go see Alien Covenant because they didn't enjoy Prometheus. I think that's a good point. So I think, if, I think it's really... Prometheus's fault for the franchise not finishing its trilogy because if Prometheus was more like Alien Covenant I think fans would have been more excited and Alien Covenant would have performed better even though it had a way bigger box office yeah so I think that because people didn't dislike Prometheus it either had them walking into Alien Covenant not very um, hopeful or just didn't they didn't even want to watch Alien Covenant because they didn't like Prometheus and they didn't want to see any more of them. Yeah, they really tapped into the ideas of humanity in reality and in, in religion and creation in Alien Covenant. And what I love so much about David's character in Alien Covenant 
is he really feels like he embodies the entirety of what humanity has achieved and discovered and created in this one being in terms of he's a master of everything. He's a master of all civilization of humanity that's been created in knowledge. terms of knowledge, yeah. a wealth of knowledge and creativity. Yeah. He has symphonies inside of him. He's an artist. He Skills. Can really, he can do everything yeah. that humanity has created and developed and turned into himself. And so it's basically David represents humanity, and I think that's why he leads to, to the downfall of humanity in a way and wants to create this superior being to out last humans because if he has all of the great aspects of humanity he also has the bad aspects of humanity including hubris so ironically he could be the most human character in the entire franchise of the world because he has all of humanity inside of him what's your favorite um scare scene scary scene it's tough to choose i really like when fifield gets attacked by the snake and it goes inside his helmet and does the circle and then down his throat it's yeah. fucked up because you're waiting for something to happen yeah but the first time I saw uh, saw Prometheus, I was I thought the whole sequence of them entering the crashed ship was really terrifying in general. I thought I thought they did a great job with that too. It, it was great. Yeah. And then, but in terms of scares, I gotta go know, with the med pod scene yeah. with the backburster. I thought that's I think that's great. That's what these two movies really lack for me is really scary sequences. Mm-hmm. And when they get to it, they do it really quickly. It really doesn't really patiently get to those moments like he does in Alien. But they got because they they're the thing with, is they weren't focused on the right things with Prometheus at all. They were they're so focused on the scope and yeah. the ideas that they lost. I think a sense of the horror that they really built with Alien because Alien is very simple compared to Prometheus. Yeah, but it's amazing. Yeah, that's why it's so it works so well. So I think that's one of the 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 weaknesses of these two movies is the lack of scary horror sequences. I completely agree because I'm never I never really feel scared for the characters, even though because you know some of them are gonna die. But they did better in Alien Covenant, and Alien Awakening probably would have been very scary. Yeah, I bet it would have. The way they was being set up, I think it could have been a really great horror action movie. They just don't feel like monster movies, where they do. Exactly. Where Alien and Aliens very much feel like oh, monster sure. movies. Yeah, because they are fucking awesome. These feel more like space movies than monster movies. Yeah, space sci-fi thrillers, and I really like them. I and I like I liked Alien Covenant a lot more now. After so, I think Alien Covenant is the superior film. Yeah. And Prometheus, I think I grew to like it a little less than I used to like it after mm-hmm. seeing it again, maybe for my fifth time now, after watching these movies back-to-back. But when you watch them back-to-back, you really see the superiority of Alien Covenant. I think, so I watched Alien Covenant again, like I said yesterday, and I was shocked at how much I liked it. And I was like, wow, this movie's actually a lot of fun. It's really interesting. It's pretty smart. And it, it had a great a great conclusion. And as, as So Prometheus didn't really have a villain really but with alien covenant you have a great villain and it would it was leading into an amazing villain arc for david in the third film yeah i guess yeah so when you look at prometheus when it comes to antagonist vickers is kind of antagonist but Ish, not really yeah. she's sort she's an interesting character and charlie's is awesome when we find out that vickers is actually wayland's daughter but also what a weird situation when she discovered when she when he wakes up and do they have a sexual relationship because she rubs his hand in a very intimate way and calls him father? And it's a little odd. Like, is there some sort of intimate it's relationship weird. there? So it's actually, this, they're fascinating characters. This is the, this, dude, this is Lindelof and JJ in the mystery boxes. Sometimes it's too much. Yeah, but Vi- in Vickers, even though it's a great performance, her character really has no say on the plot at all. She's, yeah, she's 
doesn't really have an effect on the plot at so at whatsoever. She's just kind of there, but yeah. at the end of the day, I was hoping she'd be more of an opposing force for the other characters, but she really isn't at all. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, JJ and his mystery boxes, and then his proteges love the mystery boxes too. Sometimes they don't work, and I think that Vickers being Wayland's daughter with that reveal, I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, like, all right. Why is she here? And also Waylon still being alive. I was like, okay. And then she says that line where, well, she's talking to Waylon, and Waylon's disappointed that she's there. Like, I don't even, why are you even here? I was surprised to see you. And she says, you thought that I would just sit on a board for the rest of my life while you went out here and explored some random rock. It doesn't really make sense, her motivations for being there. Yeah, she doesn't seem like it would, it makes no sense for her to make this decision to sleep in for two years on a ship to go to a rock. Because does she want four years? Does she want? Yeah. She wants control of Wayland Company Corporation. Why is she here? She seems like someone who's suited to a boardroom. You know what I mean? So I'm wondering wh- why does Vickers follow her father on this journey that she doesn't believe will lead to anywhere, except for just to create an, an, the illusion of an antagonist when an antagonist yeah. isn't there. I think that Vickers' character is a misstep from Prometheus. I think it's. it's it's just for the audience to think that there's an opposing force. Yeah. When she really doesn't have control of any of the situations at all, which is And then it's like you I was I, it's kind of her death is like kind of like enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> but like but at the end of the day, why is Vickers there? Really for no reason. In case Waylon discovers just for friction, honestly. That's all. She's just there for friction. Because that line makes no sense. Like you think I would let you come to this random rock that I don't believe in being anything. Why why would you leave Earth? Why would you give up so many years of your life for this? That's what, her her character doesn't yeah. make a ton of sense for why she's there. Yeah, I agree. So th- I that, think that that just comes to this is the problem with the mystery box. It makes you when you have the mystery box of okay, so Wayland's on the ship, but nobody knows it, and then this character who we think is the villain is like gonna be Wayland's daughter. Like these mystery boxes, they set up these reveals, and the reveals are underwhelming. And then you're like, wait, why are they here in the first place? That's the problem with using the myst- relying on their mystery box. Yeah, if there's a reason, a real reason why Vickers was there, ex- explained to us because it's, it's not. the same thing as the mystery box in Force Awakens. Why is Luke Skywalker's saber here? Why, like, there's a bunch of mystery boxes in all of the J.J. Abrams movies and his proteges movies. Because Lost is just a giant set of mystery boxes inside of mystery boxes. <laughs> and but when you put it in a film, it's like it takes away from the. The story and the not plot. just a film, but a film with lore. Yeah, in past films, yeah. like with Star Wars or Alien yeah. in this world. So I, I where so here's a twist that works really well is a twist that wasn't a mystery box. It's the David posing as Walter twist that is not set up until the third act of the film. Hell yeah, it's not a mystery box. It's a fun twist, and it's it's the thing is that's the doing that twist is so much more effective and enjoyable. Than the mystery box because there's cause for yeah for, and it's gonna lead to something exactly. amazing in terms of a yeah. story yeah absolutely and it gives us it, it, there's purpose to it and that's why David Lind- David Lindelof didn't get this job for the second film I guess yeah I guess it was that, too it's too much mystery man it's too much too many unanswered questions yeah that's the issue I, I would like to read early scripts for it because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that is explained better for the plot maybe yeah for reasons why things are happening. And reason like I'm still I'm still confused why Vickers is there. Honestly, every time I watch the movie, <laughs> Prometheus, I love Charlize. She's such a great actress, but like, why the fuck is Vickers there? And they set her up as 
the strong opposing force, doing the push-ups immediately when she wakes up and trying to have control over the situations. And clearly, obviously, when she's talking to Holloway and Shaw in her own private quarters, she says that your employees, you think that you're in charge here, but you're really working for me, basically. So, but yeah. working for you to do what? What is Vickers even doing there? That's a good point. Like, what is like your employees? What, what are Vickers' Wayland? motivations for being that's there? What, that's what like, I'm what saying. Is, like, what's the job? What's her mission? I know exactly. Yeah, her mission isn't revealed until Waylon reveals himself, and it's his mission. And her mission is to just be there, to be there, oh. to find out what. I, I, on the off chance that Waylon's right, that he meets yeah. their maker, I guess. But she doesn't even want it. She says she doesn't even care. Yeah, she doesn't care that they're there. Why they're there? Why would she waste years of her life for it? Yeah, I completely agree. Whereas Shaw is a believer. And you really understand she's willing to do anything to get to this point and reach the engineers. That's a diff That character, it works so well where you're like, she has lived her entire life to do this. So make her making the decision to take the risk and spend years of her lives on this years of her life on this journey to answer a question that's not guaranteed. But like, she's such a believer. You're like, yeah, I'm, I can totally get behind why this character is making this decision to go on this mission. Same with Holloway. Yeah. Holloway, different kind of believer. He wants to meet his maker. He wants the answers. He wants the answer to the question of why were we created? Who created us, but why were we created? He wants to meet them. But then Holloway turns into just a big crybaby. Yeah, when then he's like just another crow. They're all it's, fucking dead. And he goes, it's just another tomb. You're on a planet in a different world. You discovered thousand-year-old aliens in a crazy spacecraft. Have that some, created us. Have be a little happy, bro. I'm and they, sorry. He's just drinking they're, champagne. They're not here. He's so upset. Like yeah, that's another part of Prometheus. Cheer up, like, bro. It's like because he's actually really inter he's a great character in the first act. And then he just becomes like really pissed about like them being dead, and it's like the most significant discovery in the history of humanity, and you're just crying about it's like it. Just another tomb, and that will lead to another clue. That will lead to another tomb. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I actually I don't like the Holloway character either. Yeah, he, yeah, his trajectory sucked. He bummed me out. He started out well, but then I like to be like that depressed and underwhelmed when you found the alien creators of the human race. Like, come on, man. How can you be pissed about that? <laughs> Just go back tomorrow. You'll yeah. find some more clues. Yeah, you'll find more shit. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Man. Just traveled galaxies. He's literally John Voight in National Treasure. Yeah. <laughs> he literally is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. But, I mean, yeah, we'll never get the third film. I, I, I think the Colony movie could have been awesome, honestly. I think Awakening could have been awesome. And it's Covenant's very relevant today because it ends up being a story of humanity versus artificial intelligence. Yeah. That's really at the end of the day. Uh, David's artificial intelligence, you can assume he gains, gains consciousness. He's too intelligent. He's too thought-provoking. He thinks for himself too much. And it's leading. To, it's going to lead to the doom of humanity. It could have been an awesome third film, I think. I think it had a lot of potential. That would have been sick. And because they got they got really smart writers for Covenant to to fix all the problems with Prometheus and then try to expand upon a new story. And I think they did an excellent job with what they were given with Prometheus. And I think that they were going in a really good direction for Awakening. All right, how about we wrap this here? Going over Prometheus and Alien Covenant. You got anything else? Any fun facts? Wrap it up. All I got right. some fun facts. Let's do it, pal. <clears throat> During his confrontation with Walter, David asks him if he'd rather serve in heaven or reign in hell. This line refers to John Milton's poem, Paradise Lost, where Lucifer claims it is better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. This fits with David, David's ultimate desire to no, no longer be subservient to mankind. In addition, P 
Paradise Lost was actually the original subtitle for this film before Covenant was chosen. Also, in this movie, a scene contains a toy bird drinking water, aptly named Drinky Bird. This is actually the same thing that we've seen, we saw in Alien. There's that same Drinky Bird on the table in Alien. It's very cute. Yeah, it's very great very reference. Cute. Now, there's a hint to David taking taking Walter's place. Walter mentions that he's a superior model, and they've made some changes. So what we see is after David stabs Walter in the neck, after we cut away, Ridley Scott goes back to that room, and we see that the neck wound is actually regenerating and healing. This proves that when David takes Walter's place, he still has the wounds on his cheek. If it was Walter, he would have regenerated. So that's a hint that it was David for the audience if they had a close eye. That's a good point. It's, they do a great job of keeping that uh, a little mystery because they're fighting and Walter has the upper hand. It's an awesome fight. It's yeah, really it's cool. Fun. There's super strength and everything. And Walter gets the upper hand. He pulls the knife. He's about to stab David. And that's what David says. He calls him brother again. Basically says rain in hell or yeah. what would you say? It's better to uh, rain in hell than serve in heaven. Yeah, exactly. So it's up to you, brother. You, you decide. And then we cut after a close-up on Walter cuts to the ship. Yeah. So we don't really know what's happening. Then we just see Walter running out of the temple towards the ship as yeah. it's taking off. And, yeah, so he clearly – David's very clever. He cuts off his hand yes. and then makes the slice along his face to look like he's Walter. But he for, he didn't realize that the new model regenerates. That's a good point. Yeah. And so Danny McBride said he was pleasantly surprised to be cast against type in a mostly straight role since he figured that as a comedian – he would be cast as an obnoxious asshole who would be killed early in the film. He actually, that, yeah. He's a survivor. Yeah, he does a great job. He's yeah. got a really emotional scene, too, when he discovers the death of his wife, on, mm -hmm. and we get a great close-up of him. Yeah. Da, 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 da. So, one second. I have a cool background fact about Michael Fassbender's prep. Can't wait sorry, to hear it, man. Sorry. Something about David Bowie, right? Yes. So, to prepare for his role as the android David, Michael Fassbender watched Blade Runner. The Man Who Fell to Earth for David Bowie's performance, The Servant, and Lawrence of Arabia, obviously. Fassbender also studied Olympic diver Greg Luganis, drawing inspiration for David's walk for, from Luganis's physicality. The, the interesting thing about David is his desire for intimacy in a way. And clearly he talks to Mike uh, Walter about how he loved Elizabeth Shaw. And Elizabeth yeah. Shaw ended up being his first and only human experiment until he was able to lure more humans to this planet for creating his perfect organism. And obviously we see the corpse of her that's been opened up and studied by David. And you can assume that one of the chest, one of the aliens came out of her from a chest burster. Mm -hmm. And he kisses Walter in the scene right before he stabs Walter in the neck. He kisses mm -hmm. him. And... He tells Walter, like, no one will love you like I will. He also mentions multiple times how much he loved Elizabeth Shaw and how dear she was to him. And in a way, she she probably was, and he probably, you know, maybe felt a little remorse for having to kill her. But I don't think he felt—I think he both loved her and didn't feel remorse because he looks at himself as a superior being. But he does have a tear when he says, my dear Elizabeth. Sh Elizabeth. So if I remember correctly, I believe I read it in an interview where they erased— they erased the tears because Fassbender's such a good actor, he couldn't help from crying. But they erased the tears, but they missed the tears in one shot purposefully. It's when he's, he's he turns to he sings he plays yes. the flute to get Walter to come yeah. into his little chamber, and then turns and says, uh, "Walter says masterful," and he says it's a tribute to Elizabeth Shaw, 
my dear my dear Elizabeth, and he's got a tear coming down his face. And but then it cuts back to when the tear is gone. I, I believe Ridley Scott said Fastbender they had to eliminate tears from multiple scenes. I guess, but then also, why would he create a monument to Elizabeth? I I think he loved her. Yeah, I think I'm he just loved saying her. like androids can't cry. But then he also cries when he's deploying the virus on the on the engineers. Mm-hmm. When he drops the virus down, the the plague of the viral infection, he's mm-hmm. crying. I think it's because Fassbender is such a good actor. No, I think it's be- yeah, but also I think it's because David's becoming conscious or has actual is developing real human fe- real feelings. Yeah. But going back to the intimacy, he kisses Walter before he tries to kill him, and then he also forcibly kisses Daniels and says, "Is that how it's done?" Yeah, that's right. So I think he's curious. He's, tr- he's curious and he wants to feel maybe human intimacy or maybe yeah maybe. F- because he'll never have an equal. Mm-hmm. He kind of craves that, probably. So it's interesting that he, even though he has consciousness, possibly, he still doesn't have full emotions. Yeah. I fucking love Fassbender in this movie. He's great. Yeah. You know, after after this discussion, I'm putting Prometheus down to a 3.5 out of 5. And then keeping Alien Covenant in that's what I That's what I did for mine. Yeah. Well, are we 4.5 for Alien Covenant? No, 4 out of 5. Oh, I thought you said 4. Sorry. No, yeah, four point five. How do you how do you feel about that? Four point five for Covenant? No, yeah, I'm just way kidding. too high. I'm just kidding. Four, yeah, four. I it's agree. A, Prometheus it's a great three, movie. Three point five. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Prometheus, Prometheus three point five, and then Alien Covenant four. Very cool. All right, everybody, thank you for so much for tuning into this excellent episode. I think that we did on Prometheus and yeah. Alien Covenant. We love the world of Alien, and Ridley Scott is one of our favorite filmmakers. And we can't recommend checking out Napoleon if you haven't seen it yet, and checking it out on Patreon. Our bonus review for Napoleon, everyone has access to it for a minimum $2 a month. You can listen to over 200 bonus episodes there, so sign up at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You can also listen on Spotify if you can connect your account to Patreon. Also, leave those five-star ratings on Spotify and Apple. And don't forget to share our show with your friends, family members who love cinema, who love movies, who love Alien, who love Prometheus and Alien Covenants. And also just share us on social media and your Instagram stories. We'll, we'll post it all, and we always oh, yeah. repost, retweet. So thank you so much for tuning in. And those Spotify raps should be coming out any day now. We can't wait to see who our top listeners are. So thank Very you exciting. so much, everybody. And share that in your stories as well. See you next time. This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keene, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy-Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly, Andrew Hagen. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.